Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. I'm so glad to have you on the show, Dan. Welcome to today's podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and um, before we dive into experience marketing and how to you know, create remarkable customer experiences, which is really a topic you have uh, pioneered, I would say, since not many other is, is uh, bringing this specific uh, area of marketing up to, to discussion so much as you do. So I'm really looking forward to that. But before we dive into that, maybe you can give a little bit overview of who you are and your journey to becoming an experience maker. Sure. Uh, well, I spent uh, more than 20 years working for pretty large companies. Uh, Discover, which is a large credit card company in the U.S., Humana is a healthcare company, publicly traded, and then McDonald's, which you've probably heard of. And uh, I was mostly a marketer during those times, uh, starting way back with direct mail and then getting into, of course, email and digital and social media and all of those. And it was when I got into social media and led my first social media team that uh, sort of a light bulb went off and I realized that this was a different kind of marketing channel because it was the only channel that I had been involved in where customers could talk back to you. And I thought that was pretty interesting, actually. I thought that was a really interesting opportunity to get to know our customers better and to engage with them. I know a lot of companies were sort of afraid when customers were talking back, uh, but I've, I kind of embraced it and wanted to hear what they had to say, both the positive and the negative. And that really started my journey into customer experience because when people got their voice on social media, what they basically said is, we're tired of bad experiences with companies. We want better than that. And, uh, and so I ended up in a role at the credit card company where I was in charge of the digital experience. Uh, the website got about 50 million logins every month. It was a, a key way that people interacted with us. And... I learned very quickly that even the smallest changes made a huge impact on the metrics, on the satisfaction scores. And we won a very prestigious award, the JD Power Award for customer satisfaction while I was there. And that kind of told me that, wow, even if a third party is going to now be able to identify us as a leader in, in customer experience, I know this stuff works. And so at the beginning of January of 2019, I went off my own and started my own company, The Experience Maker. And, uh, and now I am a customer experience keynote speaker. I'm a coach. I'm an author of two books and a podcaster. And so I love what I do. I have a great time doing it. And I really enjoy being able to help companies find the opportunity to use customer experience as a competitive differentiator and really their best marketing. Yeah, what a story. Interesting career. And I know you have a lot of experiences that you build upon. 
when, as you mentioned here, when you when you have developed your framework here for experience marketing and and so forth. So, um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, your ideas? that you have written about in your two books, The Experience Maker, and you're coming up with a new book now in September, as I understand it. So um, you're elaborating on the ideas that traditional marketing is no longer working and so forth. So what's the main ideas that brought you to these frameworks? Uh, and, you know, yeah, things you, you're helping companies with today. Sure, well, The Experience Maker actually is the new book. That's the one that's coming out in September. Oh, sorry, yeah. That's okay. The older book is called Winning at Social Customer Care, and that was all about customer service in social media. This one is about the concept of creating remarkable experiences that customers want to share. And it's based on some research that says that consumers are more willing to share positive experiences with companies than they are negative experiences. But the problem is we consumers don't have very many positive experiences to share. And so, for example, when I am uh, on stage doing a keynote, I'll often ask an audience, do you remember the last time that a company wowed you so much that you couldn't wait to tell your friends and family? And no matter what size the audience is, about four people raise their hand. Now, when I say, do you remember the last time you were disappointed by a brand? Almost every hand goes up. And in fact, most people were disappointed by some brand this week, maybe even this morning. And so that's what we remember because that's what happens so often. And that's why I think it's such a huge opportunity for companies to be the ones that provide positive, memorable experiences that we also want to talk about. You know, hey, I can't believe this company did this for me. This is so cool. Or, wow, I received this in the mail from this company and I didn't, eat, and I didn't order it. It was just unexpected. Or... You know, wow, I called customer service and they treated me so well and they answered the phone immediately. I didn't even have to wait on hold. These are the types of experiences that are so rare that we want to talk about them and we want to share them. So I developed a framework uh, where I uh, go through a, a five-letter acronym called WISER because I want to make people wiser than the competition. And WISER stands for witty, immersive, shareable, extraordinary and responsive. And under each one of those letters, I share tons of real life examples from companies all over the world that are using those particular pieces of the methodology to create these experiences that people want to talk about. And it's easy. Uh, the, the, the filter that I use for all of the examples is that it has to be simple, practical, and inexpensive. So I don't share examples that cost millions of dollars because most companies can't afford to do that. I share examples that you could go back to the to work the next day and start implementing at little or no cost. You probably don't even need approval because uh, you're not gonna be spending any money or doing anything massive, but you're gonna start making small changes that really add up to the overall experience. And the last thing I'll say is that the reason I refer to remarkable experiences is remarkable means literally worthy of remark, worthy of talking about. And as marketers, the holy grail, so to speak, is word of mouth marketing. That's what everybody's chasing. But you don't get word of mouth marketing by trying to create a viral video. If, if we could do that, we would all do that, right? Mm. The way, the best way to get word of mouth marketing is to give customers an experience that they can't wait to talk about. Yeah, that's very interesting uh, uh, observation there. And I 
it feels very logical. So how come so few companies are good at this? That's a really good question. Um, what I've been able to identify is that most companies are putting all of their resources on acquiring new customers and very few resources on their existing customers. And one example that happens all the time in the United States uh, is you know, for the cable companies or the cell phone companies, the best deals that are offered are offered only for new customers. And so then existing customers say, but wait a minute, what about me? I'm the one that's actually been paying the bill every month and you're giving a better offer to somebody who's just becoming a customer. How come I don't get any credit for being loyal? And that's because customers, or excuse me, that's because companies don't particularly pay attention to their existing customers. And I believe that most companies have what I like to call a leaky bucket. And the leaky bucket, if you imagine what a leaky bucket looks like, drip, drip, drip out of the bottom, those are customers that are leaving. And most of those customers are leaving without even telling you why they're leaving. And those are the really dangerous ones, right? The, the ones that at least we can have some appreciation for is when a customer leaves and tells us why they're leaving. Because then at least we know what we did wrong, we can try to fix it, we can try to save other customers. But most customers don't do that. They just leave and they go to the competition. So it, the leaky bucket is really a double loss because you've lost a customer and your competition has gained a customer. So it's like losing two, right? And again, the reason for this is there's not enough focus on existing customers and the experience that they are having with your company. Does it meet up to what marketing promised or the sales team promised? What are your customers' expectations and are you meeting them? Or better yet, are you exceeding them? What can you do to thank your customers and make them feel valued and not just like an account number? These are things that too many companies aren't looking at. And so they suffer from this leaky bucket. And the ones that do focus on their customers almost never lose customers because they because customers love doing business with them, even if they're a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably a very good reason to why this is so so very interesting. Um, is it because we budget the wrong way when we set up our marketing plans, our marketing budgets, or or yeah, is it a simple question or is it just that we incentivize or have the wrong philosophy in the companies <laughs> all over? Yeah, I, I think it's both. I think that the budget, uh, marketing budgets are used almost exclusively to acquire new customers uh, versus spending them on existing customers. And um, yeah, the philosophy isn't there. It's not, there's no team that's dedicated to measuring customer satisfaction or customer success. Uh, there's no team that's dedicated to tracking the customer journey and identifying places where uh, we're creating pain points that might be eliminated. Um, there's no team that's charged with trying to identify points in the customer journey where we can provide surprise and delight moments that customers are going to remember. And uh, so it is, it's budget and attention. But again, what I like about the examples in my book is they don't require a lot of budget. So even if you have a company that's not going to change their, your, their budget, you still can change the attention side and the focus side on existing customers. Hmm, interesting. For B2B companies, since our listeners primarily are B2B marketeers, so say, sitting in the trenches, trying to figure out things every day, how to 
drive the marketing and the sales plan and so forth. Have you any good recommendations or examples of B2B companies that have obviously done a good job in this area and, and created great experiences that have multiplied? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned B2B because this is so applicable to B2B companies. And I would say they're more guilty of not paying attention to existing customers. And yeah. uh, B2B I companies, are, yeah, yeah the, the ones I've been involved with, you know, the sales goals go up every single year, no matter what. And they put more and more pressure on the sales team to get higher and higher sales. But the problem is, is they almost always have a leaky bucket. And so that even puts more pressure on the salespeople because you got to make up for the customers you're losing in addition to trying to grow. And I'm going to give a couple of uh, suggestions to B2Bs that are so easy to implement. The first is that normally when we sign a new contract with a customer, there's some sort of celebration. And hey, that's well-deserved. You know, we ring a bell, we have a Slack channel where we celebrate, we go out for drinks, whatever it is. The thing that we forget to do is invite the customer to the celebration. So we're literally celebrating without them. They're the, they're the guest of honor and they're not even invited to the party. And the reason why this is important is that you've probably heard of buyer's remorse as a consumer, right? Every time we make a big purchase, our brains you know, convince us that maybe it was the right decision and maybe it was the wrong decision, but we're, we're worried about what if it was the wrong decision. And you gotta think about a person even in a business environment. They've just signed a contract for a new SaaS product. It's you know tens of thousands of dollars or hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. They're thinking in the back of their head, I hope I made the right decision or I'm going to get fired. And so what we need to do is recognize that that customer is maybe not quite as excited about signing the contract as we are. And in fact, what they need to hear at that moment is, Customer, you just made the best decision of your career. We're going to take care of you and over-deliver for you. We're going to get you promoted because you, you, know, you partnered with us. I'm obviously being a little facetious, but the point is that if we invite them to the party and we invite them to the celebration and get rid of that buyer's remorse, that's an amazing start. Now, the second thing that B2B companies do way too often is as soon as that customer signs the contract, the salesperson moves off of the account and moves to a different sale. And the salesperson sends the customer over to an account management team or a customer success team. Whatever it's called, these are people that the customer has never met. Now, we know that the best salespeople are good at what they do because people buy from people they like. So salespeople are good at getting people to like them. The problem is, is that when all of a sudden you like somebody and then you decide to make a purchase and then the next thing they say is goodbye, that doesn't feel very good. You know, the, the funny analogy is you, you decide to get married and you walk down the aisle and uh, you get to the point where you're uh, supposed to exchange the rings and you realize it's not the person that you thought you were marrying. It was somebody else that's standing there. And that's what we do in B2B companies to our customers. And it's not a good feeling. So my suggestion is that the salespeople always stay with the new customer. Even if account management is starting to manage the account, that's okay. The salesperson should stay involved for at least the first 90 days so that there's a smooth transition, so that the customer gets comfortable with the new team, and so that it doesn't feel like the customer is being abandoned the very moment that they sign the contract. 
these are two examples where, again, B2B companies really don't have to spend any money. They just have to change their processes to focus a little bit more on what are you putting the customer through uh, when they do business with you? And are you making it as easy and seamless as possible? Mm, so interesting. So yeah, by, by making that change, staying on for 90 days, so for example, we can decrease the churn and also improve the experience of that's perfect. That's a good nugget right there. Do you work as a sales, marketing or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. So, yeah, uh, and talking about sales, when you see this working in companies that is actually paying attention to this and companies you have been working with, coaching them and so forth, improving in this area, how much is it impacting sales? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to quantify this exactly because obviously it depends on the company and, and all that and, and the size of, this, of each individual sale. But I'll tell you where to look for this information. The first is you look at your churn rate and your churn rate is gonna go down. Your retention rate is gonna go up because you're gonna make that process smoother for the customer and they're going to stay longer. So that's great, that's the first thing. And obviously if they stay longer over the lifetime value of the customer, they're gonna spend more money. But the second place to look is one of the most important thing for B2B sales, which is referrals. And you're gonna see your referral rate go up the more that you focus on creating a great experience for your existing customers. They're gonna to want to tell other people about you. So many B2Bs spend all this time trying to get companies to, to you know, shoot a video of them, you know, talking about how great they are. And, you know, hey, will you be a reference for us? Or, or uh, will you be a case study? And the problem is, is that when we ask companies that, when we ask our clients that, it's all about us. There's no benefit to the client to do that. But if instead we've created them with, we've given them such a great experience that they have already received extra value from us, they're going to be more willing to help us in that. And in fact, may do it proactively. Oh, that's so great. That's really great. And um have you seen this in, in all kinds of different B2B areas or do you see any areas where it's typically harder to, to work with experience marketing? Well, the key thing to remember with what I'm talking about is that no matter what business you're in, it, even it, no matter what B2B business you're in, you're still selling to humans. You're not selling to an ivory tower, to a building, you know, just because you're your clients are businesses, the people that are buying are still humans. And so humans are going to be the ones that are going to react to this kind of thing, right? They want the experience. And so we often think, well, when we work for a B2B, we're different than consumer companies. Well, guess what? The people that you're selling to are also consumers. They're consumers in their real life. And so they are comparing maybe subconsciously, they are comparing the experience that they're having with you 
to every other experience that they have with companies, either as a consumer or as a professional. And so given that we know there's so many great consumer experience companies out there, that is frankly what you're getting compared to. And so that's one of the key things that I think B2B businesses miss. And so I would argue in that case that there aren't any exceptions, that there aren't any B2Bs that couldn't benefit from this because unless you happen to be a B2B that whose customer is not human. Yeah, let's remember that all, all clients are customers, uh, sorry, persons. <laughs> so that's, that's really good. So, and, and talking about that, the personalization of experiences, how do you think that blend in here? Do you, should you try to create a personalized experience every time or, or could you be more generic or which, which level of personalization should you try to aim for when, when developing a program like this? Yeah, so the first thing about personalization is that too often we fall back on grouping customers. We use things like personas, both in marketing and in customer experience. And the problem with that is that I might be a mid forties male living in Chicago, but if that's the persona you've developed for me, you know almost nothing about me, right? And, and, and there might be a million other mid forties males in Chicago that are nothing like me. And so you're grouping me into a, a big group of people and treating us all the same, even though we're not the same at all. I think with B2B, because the sales process requires generally getting to know the prospect and, and having multiple conversations with them, we can use this type of information to, their, to our advantage. So let's say that we learn that our prospect has dogs. Well, when we are busy celebrating the new contract, maybe we send a gift for the dog. Maybe we send some treats in the mail to the dog. And because we know that that's a way that you get to somebody's heart is through their pets. Right. So we get to know people and we can personalize the experience in a way that feels genuine versus just bulking them in a bunch of, you know, in a group that are similar to other customers. Not every healthcare customer that you have is the same. Some of them might be hospital systems, some of them might be dental offices, some of them might be physical therapy uh, organizations. Just because they're all healthcare and we call them all healthcare, that's our vertical. It doesn't mean they're all the same or that they have the same needs. And understanding that will help us to personalize the experience. And then very simple things like, I don't know if you've ever logged on to your bank account and it says, you know, good morning, Dan at the, at the top. Well, mine doesn't say good morning, Dan very often. In fact, it says good morning, Daniel. Now, Daniel is my formal name. The only person that calls me Daniel is my mom when she's mad at me. So I don't want the bank to call me Daniel. I want them to call me Dan. But what they've done is they've taken my application and they've taken my data point of my first name and they've plugged it into a digital experience and they've said, hey, we personalize. Well, yeah, you're personalizing. It's, I guess it's better than just saying good morning without the name. But the point is, is that you haven't really hit the mark because you don't really know me and you don't know that I go by Dan. And, or you haven't given me the opportunity to tell you, right? So if you have that on your website and you have the person's first name, give them the chance to put in a nickname or to put in the name they wanna be called. 
And then when you when they share that with you, make sure that every channel that you communicate with them, you're using the name they want to be called, right? It's pretty simple. I mean, if I introduce myself to you at a cocktail party and say, hi, my name is Dan, you're generally not going to call me Daniel after that. And yet that's something that we do digitally all the time with customers because we don't take the time to get to know them and, and understand what they want to be called. So again, simple, simple fixes that can really change how people look at the experience and how they feel and how personalized it is. Yeah, so so good uh, example there. And I can definitely relate to that. So uh, thanks for explaining that personalization thing and that we <laughs> should do it simple. Maybe we sometimes overthink this and make uh, two big plans, grandiose ideas that we think are needed in order to stand out and what it really takes is is just simple things like using the name you would like to be called yeah i do believe in simplicity and i do believe that uh that a lot of a lot of simple small things add up to big change i'll give you another quick example think about the number of companies that you have shared your birthday with maybe they've Maybe you've had to share some identification card or a driver's license that has it. Uh, maybe you filled out a form that asked for your birthday. Um, maybe they used it to confirm your identity somehow. And now think about the number of companies that remember to wish you a happy birthday. Probably none, right? So they have this data. They've collected the data. They know on your account that your birthday is whatever it is. And yet, why are they not using that data? And so again, with the dog example, right? I mean, most, most uh, B2Bs have some sort of a CRM. Why isn't there a field in there for pets? And, and ask your salespeople to get to know their customers and, and know that this guy's got two dogs and a cat, but this guy over here you know, has birds or this guy over here has guinea pigs. And this is information that once we have it, we can use it to personalize the experience because we know something about the person. And, uh, and I think that is, you know, th that is a simple way, again, unless you have tens of millions of clients, and I'm guessing that the bulk of, of your listeners don't have tens of millions of clients, this isn't that hard to do, right? Because it's only across hundred or a couple thousands of, of customers, uh, and you don't have to do it for everyone. You can, you, you can start to experiment on some of your existing customers and trying to create these memorable experiences where people say, huh, yeah, I do business with 20 other companies. Nobody's ever recognized my birthday. You think that's going to be something that they talk about? It is. And it's going to be something that when, they, when it's time to give a referral, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, yeah, these guys have great software, but they also remembered my birthday. And it seems kind of silly, right? But heck, if that's the reason they refer you, then that value is gold, right? Awesome. Yeah. So great. Well, uh, I, I think we should, could go on forever here, Dan, but, uh, this is, this is really interesting topic, but yeah, I, I know you have a book. So for, uh, coming out this fall, the experience maker, as you said, uh, so well, I think it was September 14th where you have put in all these kind of types of examples and ideas and frameworks around, how to stand out and actually create a unique experience for clients, even though they were a B2B or B2C company. Is that right? Yes. And I talk a lot about B2Bs because I know that B2B companies 
don't think that customer experience is something they have to focus on. So I'm out to convince them otherwise. But yes, the book is called The Experience Maker. It's available September 14th. Uh, should be worldwide on Amazon and other uh, online bookstores. And I uh, appreciate you checking it out. And, and definitely, you know, I practice what I preach. So I love to collect customer feedback, whether that is in the form of a a formal review on Amazon or just emailing me or contacting me on my site and telling me what you thought of the book. Uh, I love to hear feedback and uh, I always adapt my speeches and other things based on that customer feedback as well. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for your time and thanks for sharing all these insights. And we're surely going to buy your book and hopefully we'll uh, uh, hook up sometime in the future as well. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.